Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Morning. Hey, um, if you've got your Bibles, uh, would you grab and go to Jonah chapter 4? Uh, Jonah 4 is a text we're going to be reading here in a little bit. And um, if you uh, didn't bring a Bible with you, there's one that looks just like this one. It's in the pew rack in front of you. And you can grab that and go to page 1,454. You will find Jonah 4. Um, you, you'll make your way there. So just want to give you a heads up on that. If you've been around Salem Lions for any length of time, um, it was, I promise say eight years ago, maybe a little bit longer than that, our student ministries did a uh, sort of a, they, they identified a need in our city that was pretty significant. Uh, they, uh, there's this, this, this group of, there's all kinds of homelessness happening in our city, but specifically one that really caught their attention was homeless high school students. Uh, students that, you know, they're their same age that were sort of bouncing around different homes during the week and they started this, uh, this, uh, this, uh, really this ministry to them, um, primarily because if you're, if you're in high school and remember in high school when clothes were so important to you? Um, maybe clothes is still important to you. Um, that's okay. It doesn't mean you're still in high school. Uh, but for, for high school students, especially homeless high school students, they didn't have a lot of a variety of clothes. And so what was happening is uh, they, were, they were not attending high school regularly. They didn't want to stick out by wearing the same clothes all the time. Uh, so our student ministries team, uh, by the way, uh, 20, uh, just, just short of 29% of all students who are going to high school in Marion County do not graduate. And a portion of that is these homeless high school students um, who just, they, it's just, they don't want to, they don't want to stick out. And so our student ministries led by our, our, our team there identified this and, and started a uh, kind of a cause. It's called Give a Shirt. Was anyone here when we did Give a Shirt? You remember that? Okay. So a lot of you participated in that. And so this, for those of you who want this, weren't here, this is how it worked. We sold t-shirts, we sold sweatshirts, and um, a, a large chunk of the proceeds went into a fund and our high school students um, several times a year would take homeless high school students uh, shopping for clothes at places like Old Navy or Target and um, and on those trips sort of sort of build relationship and meet some other needs that these homeless high school students had and um, and then provided other things like toiletries and, and of course you know spiritual conversations would come up and it was just a way to to, to meet a tangible need and to connect and address a, a serious need that's in our city. Now, um, I, thanks for engaging in, in, that, in that cause and supporting our student ministries. A lot of you really love that idea, but not everyone loved that idea. Um, the reason I know that is because we got some emails around this place. Um, I, I want to read you a couple because they kind of lead into what I want to talk to us about. Here's, some, here's a couple emails, uh, words on the screen behind me uh, that we got about that, that ministry called Give a Shirt. One of them was, wow, talk about missing the mark. Don't get me wrong, this is a good idea, but a cause? Giving students a shirt? What about giving hope and purpose by exposing them to the truth of Jesus Christ? Yeah, yeah, this may be a path to doing that, and it is essential to meet perceived needs, but why conceal that this is a church youth group's idea? Are you ashamed of God? Come on, why hide the truth? Then another email. Here's a cause. 
having all youth in Salem Kaiser exposed to the truth so they may know and grow into who they are in Christ. Having a youth group, church, with its people, programs, and products to focus on the cause of Jesus Christ, not just some social justice idea. But what about wholeheartedly believing in God's plan for teenagers and endeavoring the cause of Jesus Christ? But no, you want to give them a shirt. How sad. Now, um, I'm sharing those emails with you, not to make fun of anybody or demean anybody, but really to highlight, I think, this, this growing... Uh, I think that the gospel and the impact that it has on people's lives, I think in some ways, part of that impact, part of that natural response to the gospel of Jesus Christ has been hijacked from us. In some cases, it's even truncated. You might even say that it was amputated from what it means to be a Christ follower. This idea that, that um, but meeting a, a need in our city is somehow a compromise or it's, it, these are things done by people who are timid about Jesus Christ. And again, I'm not saying that to, to, uh, to demean anybody. I, I think it's actually quite pervasive. And I'm just going to put my cards on the table here because here's, here's what I want you to hear today. Okay? Here, here's what this, my talk is going to be all about. Put, we'll put this up on the screen. I want you to know that God is concerned about people being right with him and he is concerned about the state of people's lives. God, he's concerned about people being right with him. What I mean by that is the people are in right relationship with him. That, that you, you know how you go sideways with somebody who's a friend and things just aren't right and then there's healing in the relationship and now things are right? That's what we're talking about here. And so our, our sin, our guilt, our shame actually kind of breaks the, breaks the relationship with God. And God's provided the way for that relationship to be healed by, by sending his son Jesus to the cross. And so God is concerned that people experience forgiveness and that they are right with him. That's really important to him. And he is concerned about the state of people's lives. Both are on his heart. And I think that, that somehow those two have been, have been separated. And I think if, if we're going to live out our vision of a city at peace with God, and if we're going to be for our city, we got to put them back together again. And, and here, I, want, I want to show you today, I just want to show you from the scriptures, and, and where I'm going to go is, is Jonah 4 to begin this conversation. And I just I want you to see how important this is to God, that people are in right relationship with him, and that people's, they're, they're experiencing peace in their lives. Now, we were in the book of Jonah in April, and so we, we did this series, we called it We Are Jonah, because what we didn't want to do is say, Jonah, bad guy, glad I'm not like him. Right? Because the reality is, is that we're very much like him. And so we were, we were studying that book. We were, we were learning about him. And just, just a little review. You remember, um, if, if you've never heard the story before, um, it, you know, Jonah's given, he's given a mission. A lot of people know the story because they remember him being swallowed by a great fish. Um, but, you know, Jonah got, he got a job assignment from God. Chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. And right from the very beginning, doesn't it sound like God is so fire and brimstony? Get up. Go to that wicked city, Nineveh, and pronounce my judgment upon it. God sounds so conservative, doesn't he? 
in, in chapter one. And it kind of scares Jonah. And uh, he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. And for a variety of reasons. We, we talked about that last April. But God again calls Jonah in chapter three. He again has a conversation, a calling in chapter four. And uh, in, in the story, what happens? You got this fire and brimstony sounding conservative God. Go to that wicked city and pronounce my judgment on them. And then you get to chapter four. And Jonah's had his whole experience with the great fish. And he's been preaching in the city. And the people actually listen to him. The people in Nineveh are, are filled with sorrow for their wickedness um, from, the, from the king down. I mean, there's this declaration of a fast. People are stopping to eat. They're putting on sackcloth and ashes. And they're expressing sorrow um, and before God. And what God decides to do is have compassion and mercy on them. Now, you need to understand this. These people, they don't actually repent long-term anyways. Because in just one generation, they're going to go back to the same things that they were doing. And, and actually what they don't do is they don't enter into a covenant with God. There's, there's no covenant with God that the Ninevites enter into uh, with him. Um, the, 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 the sorrow is short-lived, one generation, it, it, no covenant. And But God, what God does is God decides to relent. He has mercy and he has compassion on Nineveh and Jonah is ticked off. Because this fire and brimstony conservative God now sounds like a bleeding liberal. And Jonah is, God, wait a minute, you, you know all things. You know that, that in, this is short-lived sorrow. This is not the real deal. You, there's no covenant. And I, this is why I didn't want to go in the first place. Because I knew that you would have compassion. I knew that you, that you would have mercy. And Jonah can't handle it. And, and so we get to chapter 4, and we get this, this interesting conversation, and then the book ends just oddly. Uh, Jonah 4, I mean, just catch it up, you know, there's, there's, there's this anger that Jonah has, and he preaches the message, and God has compassion, and Jonah is going to, he's going to go park himself on a hillside and just see if, if God's going to do what he, what he said he was going to do. Um, and uh, let me just pick it up in chapter 4, verse 3. Um, Jonah begins by saying, just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, is, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. 
But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Not to mention all the animals. Some of your translations say, not to mention the cattle. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? End of book. The, the, the book ends with a question. It, it, it ends un, unresolved. Jonah, you, you did what I said, and I had mercy, and, and then you wanted me to torch the city, and then this plant grew up. I arranged that, and then I arranged the worm to eat it, and you're pretty hacked off and ticked off about that, and, and you have a lot of passion in your heart for a plant you had nothing to do with. And here are 120,000 people living in the city that I have everything to do with. And shouldn't, shouldn't I have compassion and mercy on Nineveh? 120,000 people walking in spiritual darkness? And, and what about the cows? Now, sidebar note here. I, I think we have the book of Jonah in our hands today. Because, just, just my theory. I think that Jonah came to a point in his life where he realized what a jack wagon he was. And he wrote his story. How else could we get this? I, I think he writes it down. And who could write a book like that? Only somebody who's secure enough in the love of the Father. Someone who could say, you need to hear who, who I was before I experienced God's grace. I think that's why we have this book. So don't, don't hear me ripping on Jonah. I think Jonah comes to a place where he's just saying, I just want to be vulnerable. This, this is who I was. But God, ending the, this, this book ends, Jonah ends his book with, saying, with God saying to him, what about the 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness? And what about the cows? What about the animals? Which, I, for a lot of years, I looked at me, is, is that because God loves animals? Is that, is that what's going on here? It, yeah, God loves animals. I mean, he did create them. The, the animal kingdom was his idea. He, he artistically fashioned the animal kingdom. So, of course, he loves animals. But that's not what's going on here. Because in Jonah's day, in Nineveh's day, the cattle, the, the economy of, of Jonah's day is bigger, fatter, and hairier. What, what God is saying to Jonah is, shouldn't I care about 120,000 people walking in spiritual darkness? And shouldn't I care about their, their way of life? Shouldn't I care about their economy? You got to get this. God is concerned about people being in right relationship with him. And he is concerned about the state of people's lives. And so what, what God is doing here, he's revealing his heart. His heart for people to be in friendship with him. And his heart for people to experience the Life how it ought to be. And so God is concerned about both. And we see that in Jonah. And just so that we don't, that we, maybe you're sitting there going, well, that's kind of an abstract way to get to your point. And, uh, well, yeah, yeah, I, I guess, I guess you could say that. But friends, this is throughout the pages of scripture. This is all over the scriptures. Book of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah 58, many of you know this, this chapter, uh, people have been praying and uh, they're, they're fasting and, and God's not listening and God says this to them, uh, here's the kind of fasting I want, free those who are wrongly imprisoned, lighten the burden of, <clears throat> of those who work for you, let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people, share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. You know who you are. <laughs> then your salvation will come like the dawn 
and your wounds will quickly heal. They're going to the temple. They're doing all the religious stuff. They're engaged in all the rituals. They're doing that and they're praying and they're in need. And now they're even breaking into fasting because God's not responding. And God's saying, hey, look, you're doing all the religious stuff. You're, you're, you're going to your Bible study every week and you're going to church every week and, and uh, you're watching on live stream. And, and, but, but that's good. But here's what I'm really looking for. I'm looking for you to be concerned about the state of people's lives. And in, in, in their case, they're contributing to the absence of peace in their city. And so God, God's calling them. At this. Why, why would God say that? Because he's concerned about people being in right relationship with them, and he's concerned about the state of people's lives. And it's not just an Old Testament thing. It's a New Testament thing. Jesus is telling a parable to his disciples. One of those parables is called the, uh, the sheep and the goats, and he's talking about the kind of person that's going to be with him forever and the kind of person that's going to depart from his presence. And he says this, For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me I was in prison and you visited me he's speaking to people that he's saying enter into my presence and and here's why I tell you the truth when you did it to one of the least of these my brothers and sisters you were doing it to me what Jesus is getting at in this parable what he's saying if you say you love like God then you will if you say you love God you will love like God if you say you belong to God then you will exhibit to the world around you, to those in your neighborhood, those in your schools, you will, you will love like him. And to disconnect the two, that, that's a problem. In fact, you get to James chapter 2. James says, says some pretty hard things. James says, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. James is not saying, my good works saves me, but what he is saying is, the moment I put my faith in Christ, that is the, that's the starting line of discipleship. And by the way, as I grow in Christ, what's going to naturally happen if my faith is alive if I say I love God, what's naturally going to happen is I'm going to love like God, and what loving like God looks like is good deeds. And, and, and if I'm not loving people, if I'm not seeing needs and meeting them, uh, then, then what James is saying, that's, that's dead faith. That's, that's not legitimate faith. This, this idea of God's concern that people are right with him and his concern about the state of their lives, friends, is all the way through the scriptures. In fact, one person uh, says this, is the scriptures insist that the best test of a person's righteousness is how they treat the poor and most vulnerable in their midst. And the reason that is, is because of God's concern that people are in right relationship with him and God's concern for the state of people's lives. Both are important to him. And if both are important to him, both must be important to us. So let's just turn the corner here and let's just let's, let's go to practical. Let's just talk practically. What does that mean to us, Salem, Kaiser, Willamette Valley region, 2016? I mean, 2017 is just around the corner. What, in relation to our vision, a city at peace with God, 
what, how do we be for the city? How, can we, how do we tangibly own this vision and see peace in all its dimensions thrive in our city? So let's go there, and let me go there by saying that there's a, there's a couple of words that you've probably heard around here as we've talked about reaching our city. Um, the, the, the first word is the word show. Uh, remember elementary school? Elementary school? Um, I, I remember elementary school. Uh, I remember some things I really liked about elementary school. Recess, lunch, and when school was done. I was, I was, not, I was not a great student. In fact, when, when the teacher taught, I kind of leaned out. I just, I just wasn't an indoor person. I, it was hard for me to be at a desk and be there for that long. Um, but when the teacher announced that we were doing show and tell, something happened to me. Um, I leaned in. When, when Susie would get up front and she would have her little stuffed animal that grandpa gave her, and she would talk about how, you know, he gave that gift to her and uh, explained and then talked about a little bit about a fact about that animal. There's something in me that sort of leaned in because this combination of show and tell was just lethal for me as an elementary student. It was like, it just, a, a switch got flipped. I, suddenly I became interested. When, when Bobby got up there and had his picture of Mount Rushmore, he went on vacation and his family saw Mount Rushmore and he, and he talked about the trip and all his favorite memories about the trip that summer and then he talked about the faces on the mountain. Uh, I paid attention. It, 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 it got me. And, and when it comes to, to living out the gospel, when it comes to believing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God has sent his son so that we could be right with him, and when it comes to living that good news out and its impact on our lives, this, this show and tell really captures well how, how we are to live, how we are to be salt and light in our world. It's this lethal combination of showing, demonstrating Christ's love to our city with the combination of proclamation of, of telling. And, and here's the deal. I think that we have a natural inclination to one over the other. I think and there are those rare people who have a beautiful blend of being able to do both so very well. But I think for most of us, we, we're either like, man, I, when telling, I just get fired up. I get passionate about telling people about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those are the ones who wrote the emails. That This is good. Uh, but, but the reality is, is that it's also important that, that, that we show the good news of the gospel. And there are some of you that, man, this lights you up. This is in your wheelhouse. This is the sweet spot. You love demonstrating the love of Christ. And even right now, as I'm talking about that, you're already kind of saying, yeah, that, that, that's me, or yep, that, that's me. In fact, let me just give you five seconds. Put yourself in one of these two. If you had to choose, does, does this, man, is this, is this who you are? You're a teller. Or is, is it over here? Are, are you a shower? Is this really what, what kind of gets you, you lit up? Have you got your one? Okay, so here's what I want you to do. If you, this showing thing, that's you, I want you to stand and stay standing. Stand right now. That, if you say, that, that, that's me. Okay, stay standing. <clears throat> now look around. Okay, balcony, you can look around. Yeah, you, you can even turn around looking about. That's okay. You can do that in church. Okay, now, if you're in live stream, here's what you do. So I know some of you are in house churches, so you raise your hand or uh, your, your, maybe your families talk about that in, in live stream as well because it's really important that we see this. So as you're standing, let me just say this to you. Thank you. Thank you for your passion to demonstrate the love of Christ. This is really important. 
I mean, as you demonstrate the love of Christ, you are speaking the love language of our city. What you do is so important. And uh, I, I just want to thank you for that. Now, I, I also want to notice how many, how many people are standing. Um, because there's a lot in the room that just this showing, this lights you up. Okay, now you can take a seat. I want my tellers to stand. Tellers, go ahead and this is, this is what really fires you up. All right, great. Now, just, just stay standing. Here's, here's what you see. This has been consistent in every service. About 80% or 80-90% that showing light lights you up. Uh, the tellers, is, is about, is, this, is, this is about what it's looked like in every service. And can I just say to you, thank you. Thank you so much for your boldness. Thank you for your courage. Thank you for opening your mouths and speaking about who Christ is. This is really important. And many of us need to learn from you and in, in, in how you do that. And, and, uh, but I just want to say thank you so very much for, um, for proclaiming the good news of, of Jesus Christ. And you, you can have a seat. Uh, maybe you did a live stream. Uh, just note this because here's the deal. Sometimes what we do is uh, we're, we're showers and we say, no, 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 this, this, is, really, this is really how you do it. Or we're, we're tellers and say, you bunch of chicken showers, you know, you need to open your mouths. <laughs> and it can kind of feel like this battle. And so that's when the message of the gospel gets hijacked. This is, God is concerned that people are in right relationship with him and he is concerned about the state of people's lives. Both are on his heart. So what I want to do in the, in the short time I got left, I, I want to speak to, to wherever you find yourself on this, uh, on this spectrum. And, and I, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you as a shower to go, oh man, I'm no good. I'm not a very good teller. Don't listen to the, to the mean voice in your head, okay? It's not, it's not about condemning yourself because you should be better at that, nor should it be on this side. If you're a teller, it, it shouldn't be like, ah, I, really sh- I really should be more about that. Or maybe it's even, you know, uh, you sh- you, well, I'll, I'll get to this, but this isn't about condemning or saying I should be better. Don't go there. But what I want you to do is, I want you to know there's a God who's concerned that people are right with him. And he's concerned that people are in, that he's concerned about the, the state of people's lives as well. So if we're going to advance the vision, then we too must embody his heart. So I, I first I want to have a conversation with tellers. And I, and I want to just start here by saying to you, I want you to see how important the show and tell is to, is to Jesus. Both are important to him. You saw the Matthew 25. If you're a teller, you need to know that when Jesus was training his disciples, he was working in the show and tell piece right from the very beginning. He was depositing this DNA in his disciples. He wanted them to demonstrate the good news of the gospel as well as proclaim it. Luke chapter 9, verse 2. Here's one of those training sessions. He sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. He sent them out to tell. He, he did that. And to show, specifically in this case, to heal the sick, to demonstrate kingdom power over sickness. And, and both were part of his early ministry. In fact, in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus is reading from the scroll of Isaiah, 
He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to what? Proclaim. He sent me to do this, uh, but not just this, to proclaim that the captives will be released and that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. It's, it's the season of favor, and what this is going to look like is I'm going to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of heaven, that there's a new reality, and the citizens of that kingdom, the citizens of the kingdom of God, live by a, a different custom, a different approach to life. And, and, and they're going to proclaim that, and they're going to they're show it. So right from the very beginning, what Jesus is doing is this one-two punch of show and tell. I want you to hear it. I want you to see it. And so to, for tellers, it's really important that we, that we understand the importance of the proclamation that we're giving, and we also understand the importance of the demonstration of the, of, of the good news of the kingdom. And, and, and so let me just give you a little tangible little, little, little homework for you, and it's simply this. I think, I think we tellers need to find a tangible way to show God's concern for the state of people's lives. It's simply stopping and saying, God... God this, this, this comes easy for me. Man, I, this lights me up. That, that's a little harder for me to see, maybe even appreciate. So would you grow my heart? And would you show me a tangible way that I can, I can show concern for the state of people's lives? That, that would just be a practical step for you. Now, let me talk to showers. Many of us in the room stood up and said, yep, that's me. I love to demonstrate uh, the love of Christ. Uh, someone once said, preach Christ, preach Christ, and if necessary, use words. A lot of folks attribute that to St. Francis of Assisi. Um, we, we don't know that for sure, and it's probably unlikely because he had a habit of preaching like five times a day. So he, 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 was, he was a teller. He was also a shower. Um, but that, that same spirit can kind of arise when we hear things like, you know, actions speak louder than words. And suddenly we denigrate the proclamation of, of, of the gospel. The, 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 the sides that we need to open our mouths. And, and as showers, what we need to make sure we understand is that if we, if we don't say something, people will arrive on their own, they'll arrive at the wrong conclusion about our motives. They'll, they'll arrive at the wrong conclusion about what, what, what really is going on here. Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God is poured out on the 120 in the upper room. They're, they're in the upper room and, and, you know, the sound of the wind and they come pouring out of the upper room. And, and what is the conclusion that the citizens of Jerusalem come to? There's an amazing party happening at 9 in the morning in that upper room. Because they come to the conclusion that these folks are intoxicated. Now, if Peter does not proclaim, if Peter doesn't open his mouth and tell people what's going on, 3,000 people will not know, will not be in right relationship with Christ. But because he did, because he corrected the conclusion that they came to, 3,000 people entered the kingdom, adopted into the family of God. 
Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas are in a little, these little two hamlets, little villages called Lystra and Derbe. And, and they're there and they, they heal a man and he's healed and the town hears about it. And they conclude that Barnabas is Zeus and that Paul is Hermes, these, these, these gods, these mythical gods. And so they're getting some cattle together. They're going to sacrifice them. And Paul and Barnabas are asking, you know, what's going on? And, and, you know, they hear that here's the conclusion they've come to. A healing has happened in the name of Jesus Christ, but the people think that it's Zeus and Hermes in the flesh, and that's the conclusion they've come to. Paul and Barnabas open their mouths and tell them, no, 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 we're not Zeus and Hermes, we're Paul and Barnabas, and this isn't about us, it's about Jesus Christ. Here's what's going on. People left to their own will always come to the wrong conclusion about the motives of your demonstration of love. So... You, you and I are going to have to have to tell people about why why we're offering clothing, why we are we, those opportune. Why would we give so much time to to showing this kind of care and concern for the people in our city? And the reason that's important because if they're going to enter into a, a right relationship with God, they, they need to hear about who God is. Which is why Romans ten, where Paul writes in Romans ten, he says, "Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? So faith comes from hearing. That is, hearing the good news about Christ. Showing demonstration is not proclamation. It's important. You're demonstrating what, what Jesus, you, you are behaving like the very body of Christ here on earth. You are living it out. This is, this is important to the heart of God. But showers, we, we need to grow our heart for telling. So here, here's a little homework for us. If you say, I'm, I'm a shower, we need to prepare ourselves. Prepare yourself to articulate the good news and pray for opportunities, specifically opportunities to share the good news. We need to prepare ourselves ahead of time and pray for opportunities to talk about Jesus. Now, some of you are already breaking out into a cold sweat. Like, how do I die? I don't know how I do this. And let me just, here, here's a book that you can get it on Amazon. It's, it's written a lot of years ago. It's super practical. It's very easy to read. And I, I read this, I mean, 20 plus years ago, and it so helped me articulate my faith and know, how, okay, how do I pray with someone to, to give a life to Christ? What do I say? I mean, how do I respond to, th- to this? And, um, and I think we put so much pressure on ourselves to say all the right things. And it's amazing what God will use to draw people to himself. But if you want a practical way to grow in sharing and, and telling, this would be a great resource for you. Now, why would we, why would we want to grow in that? Why would we want to grow in, in showing? Because... God is concerned that people be in right relationship with him. And he is concerned about the state of people's lives. Deeds, actually, when we show when the good deeds, they verify the meaning, the, 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 the motives of our words. We don't, we don't do the deeds so that you know, if, we, if we do this enough, then maybe we'll be able to talk about Jesus. We do this because we belong to Jesus. Some people say, well, that's a bait and switch. No, not bait and switches. It's just life in the kingdom. This is who we are. So deeds actually verify the words. The words clarify the deeds. Oh, that's, that's why you're, you're doing that. 
Now, now get this. Imagine with me for a moment. Imagine a whole bunch of people who, who embraced the whole gospel for the whole person, who embracing this vision of our city being at peace with God. Imagine each and every one of us in some way or another demonstrating the love of Christ wherever God's planted us. Whether you're in middle school or whether you're living in a retirement home somewhere, just wherever we're at, we're demonstrating. Imagine people demonstrating the love of Christ. Imagine people prepared. Imagine people praying for opportunities to, to, talk, to talk about Jesus. And imagine all over our city, all over the Willamette Valley region, people just waiting for these opportunities, demonstrating who Christ is, walking with Christ, embracing the words of Christ, and walking in the ways of Christ. And imagine all those spiritual conversations taking place. And imagine the harvest that could take place if such a people were prepared and praying and living the life of Christ in such a way that showed concern that people would be in right relationship with God and were concerned about the state of people's lives. Let me tell you what would happen if, if, if that were to take place. There would be an incredible harvest. There, there would be, as, as, the, as, as the, the Christ life is being shown and as, as the Christ life is being told, I'm telling you that, that God would breathe on that and he would, he would draw people to himself. Why? Shouldn't I be concerned about 120,000 people walking in spiritual darkness? Shouldn't, shouldn't I be concerned about that? What about the cows? What, what about the homeless what about the job market? What about the housing market? You know, what about those who, who students in high school can't afford to buy an ASB card and get to the football game? You know, what, what about the people who, who can't afford to buy those pair of shoes? God is concerned for someone's soul and he's concerned for their body. And I believe that when we get that into our hearts and souls, Salem and Christian have a chance. <laughs> the kingdom will advance. It will. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.